It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Our guest today is Clara Narstadt. She is the director of the Coordinated Science Laboratory at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and the Ralph and Catherine Fisher, full professor of computer science at the University of Illinois. She received her Ph.D. in computer and information science from the University of Pennsylvania. Specializing in reliable and high-performance computing, she's involved in several National Science Foundation and Department of Energy cyber infrastructure projects, such as one to build advanced real-time security in cyber-physical systems of smart grids and electric vehicles, secure sensor networks monitoring of oil and gas, cyber-physical infrastructure, and cyber infrastructures for the National Materials Genomes Initiative. Professor Narstedt, welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you for having me. So uh, I want to, first of all, touch on uh, just in general uh, the projects that you're working on and, and start first with, with the, the initiative uh, that you're, you have to uh, connect the microscopes and, um, with, with all the major centers here on the engineering campus. So this is an exciting uh, uh, initiative. Uh, it's funded by the National Science Foundation. This particular project is called uh, uh, Trusted and Timely um, uh, Capture, Curation, Coordination uh, Data Blocks, and um, we call it T2C2 uh, project. Um, and um, we, uh, through this particular uh, collaboration with the Material Research Laboratory, Micro Nanotechnology Laboratory, we are developing a um, cyber infrastructure around microscopes and scientific instruments that are in these uh, laboratories. The major motivation for this uh, particular cyber infrastructure is uh, to really satisfy one of the major goals for the National Materials Genome Initiative, uh, and that is to provide uh, uh, speedy cyber infrastructure IT systems so that uh, the advances in uh, materials can uh, move faster. So this was a major national initiative, and uh, many tools are being developed to assist material scientists and semiconductor fabrication uh, scientists. And University of Illinois is very well positioned to make advances in this area. And we feel that um, our project, the T2C2 project, is very much in the middle of um, uh, satisfying the major goals for this uh, materials genome initiative. So the system that we have built um, is called 4Seed, and um, this particular system is connecting uh, via high-speed networks in MRL and MNTL uh, many of the microscopes um, that are, uh, if it is SEM, TM, these electronic microscopes, but also X-rays and FAM and other uh, instruments. Uh, 
So, um, and then uh, these particular um, microscopes are being connected to a cloud, private cloud that is uh, residing here on our campus uh, where the researchers from MRL and MNTL can securely upload and store the data as well as then curate them. They later on can go to their particular offices, uh, recall that particular data and um, curate, annotate, uh, put um, all kinds of uh, information to um, keep track actually what happened during the microscope session. The other very interesting um, aspect uh, is that um, many of these microscopes are multi-sensory devices um, and um, our system will capture not only the imaging sensor that takes uh, uh, the images of the chemical components that then build these advanced materials or the semiconductor uh, devices uh, in MNTL, but they also capture many of the sensors inside of the microscope because the scientists, when they develop these advanced materials, they put pressure, they put different temperatures, they put very different uh, physical impulses on that material or on those semiconductor devices to actually see the various properties. And, um, and so we actually capture this digital information and then store them in an integrated fashion into the cloud as well as allowed to uh, organize the data in such a way that these scientists then can search very conveniently for the data. They can visualize this particular data, the images and the sensor in a coordinated fashion, as well as uh, can start to um, build analytical tools over this particular data to uh, better understand uh, the codependencies between the different microscope sessions, right? I mean, when uh, PhD students, professors, staff members develop advanced materials, they do it over the year and the different microscope sessions are uh, analyzing different materials. And so our four seed system developed within the T2C2 project uh, very much uh, uh, helps uh, with capturing these um, megabytes and gigabytes of data per microscope session. So uh, we're not even talking, not only talking about uh, images, we're talking about, you mentioned pressure, and, and so th the advanced microscopes can capture a lot of different senses that uh, they haven't been able to, to capture before, and so I'm sure that this system plays a big role in being able to capture all that information. That's correct. Um, we are currently um, are able to um, uh, capture uh, many of these sensors because many of these sensor informations are actually being hidden inside of the images. And what uh, my team then, funded by the National Science Foundation, uh, the team that I lead but also uh, uh, is uh, called by co-PIs like uh, Professor Roy Campbell, Professor Indy Gupta, Professor Paul Brown, Professor Brian Cunningham. We are able to actually extract 
these various sensor data out of these particular images and then store them, index them very separately so that then the scientists actually do not lose that particular data. If we would not extract that particular data from those images, very often when conversion of these images happens in, through the visualization tools, this particular sensor data often gets lost. And now actually with our tool, we can um, very much save the data and make it searchable so that then the scientists have a much better understanding what happened uh, to the materials. So talk about impact, because this seems to have, it would, would have a global impact if scientists can talk to each other in this fashion and can save data and can share information from microscopes. Um, you mentioned that part of the, the significance is that it advances the um, introduction of new materials and, and that sort of thing. So I, I was hoping you can expand on that just a little bit on, uh, on just the overall impact of this project. So the impact um, uh, we have, uh, the, the overall team, uh, uh, I think it's tremendous. Uh, first of all, we are at this point speeding up the collection of the data at the microscope twofold to threefold. And one has to really take that into account that every microscope session um, is costly, right, in time, but also these microscope sessions have to be paid for. And so if the researcher can take two to three times more data and conduct much more efficiently the experiment, uh, one speeds up that particular discovery. So that is uh, one, I think, major impact. Uh, second important impact is that we actually started to collaborate with NIST. In NIST, also material scientists and semiconductor fabrication scientists have laboratories where there are scientific instruments. And um, uh, they also struggled with uh, connectivity of these uh, instruments and having them very strong uh, cloud and uh, data uh, infrastructure. And um, we presented to them the four-seat system that currently also is using, for example, some of the software from NCSA, from uh, Kenton McHenry, uh, the Clouder, um, and our overall sort of system. And NIST actually did some experiments, and they very much liked it. So now, actually, even in NIST, in the National Institute of Standards, they are going to go live with our systems in that particular materials laboratory and use that system. And why is it important is that the goal is actually to start to think about standardization of these kind of cyber infrastructures for material scientists, for cyber, uh, for semiconductor fabrication scientists, as well as Another really important goal for NIST will be they are getting many of these cyber infrastructures from many different domains, if it is biology, if it is chemistry. And the question is, can some of these different scientific domains start to integrate so that basically the material scientists cloud databases, data management systems could collaborate with uh, uh, 
cyber infrastructure, data systems for biology, for chemistry, and so on. I believe that there actually we will even create faster discoveries than we currently do. So at this point, what is happening is we are developing some of these cyber infrastructures within a particular domain, like the materials domain, to satisfy the material genomes initiative. But really, ultimate vision is to go across many domains because the interdisciplinarity is currently very much needed. So then in the, in the microscope sessions, you can concentrate on just getting the, the raw data uh, and then go back at another time and do your computation and, and that sort of thing, which, which you talk about saving time and, and, and money and whatever. That, that could be another huge benefit. That's correct. I mean, we started, uh, when we started this project uh, four years ago, and we put the team together of the various copies with our collaborators in NCSA, and then also the programming and PhD uh, student team, we started with memory stick and sneaker net. <laughs> and that was that basically many of these uh, researchers would have a memory stick. They would put it into the microscope. They would put the data onto the memory stick and then walk basically after the session into their offices. And you can imagine that there has been quite a bit of challenge because these memory sticks are uh, limited in their storage. Very often what the researchers then try to do is spend a lot of time cleaning up the data at the microscope session. And so they spend a lot of non-productive time on cleaning up the data to actually bring it into the memory stick and then basically walk to their office and bring it onto their particular servers. Here is currently also another problem. As we know, the memory sticks are starting to have security problems that you can actually bring viruses. And um, so many of these microscopes are then very vulnerable. So um, we actually really want to bring the researchers away from these memory sticks using at the microscope and rather securely but also timely connect them to these clouds, private clouds, and allow them actually to very fast upload the raw data and then do the cleaning somewhere in their offices when they have more time. They are not under the pressure of all the payments that they have to pay for the microscopes. Oh, transition a little bit because we're talking uh, cyber infrastructure with uh, Professor Clara Narstadt, who's the director of the Coordinated Science Laboratory here at the University of Illinois. And I want to talk about uh, smart grids uh, because uh, having uh, the ability to, to read and to collect data from, from the electric grids and smart grids and uh, so forth, vastly, really important. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and... and um, how this whole idea relates to that. So um, another really important change happened uh, in, uh, I think, in computing is that the computer scientists really became very important to our critical infrastructures. And so many, very similar to the microscopes, uh, many of the cyber physical infrastructures and um, critical infrastructures like power grid have been open to uh, uh, problems in cyber 
they have been either collecting data in a very inefficient way and they were not connected at all. And so with the advances in the computing, uh, power grid started to bring more and more cyber devices uh, in the generation grid or in the transmission grid or in the distribution grid. And um, we see that now on the smart meters, right, that they currently have a cyber component, so not just a physical component. But I have been working actually on the cyber infrastructure uh, for power grid um, on the generation substation side as well as some of the transmission side where again we are seeing that many of the sensors relays and so on are being equipped with sensing capabilities cyber components cyber chips which are then collecting the digital data that are representing the physical properties of the device but then they actually again need to transmit the data from these uh, cyber-physical sensing devices to control centers where then the smart grid operators can actually visualize the data either from a particular small region or across the whole state or across the uh, region and uh, make decision about uh, health of that particular grid uh, and the uh, load generation or the load trans transmission. So um, we um, started, uh, again, a large team uh, led by Professor Bill Sanders. Um, we started with the National Science Foundation, and um, there actually we started to look at some of the substations and particularly the trust uh, in many of the cyber components that are collecting the data and then transmitting the data up to the control centers. And there have been many interesting challenges. For example, when we started um, 10 years ago, uh, there actually uh, many of the cyber components have been really connected with very low level networks uh, to control centers with very low rate uh, type of data traffic and um, uh, they were not secured. There was all plain text as the control information, uh, all the sensory information would flow to the control centers, to the operators. And that uh, became a problem. Again, uh, people could uh, tap into the data, modify the data, and um, one of the reasons uh, why people have not been even considering uh, the security as part of the data collection from these uh, generation uh, sensors to the control centers was real time. And um, the reason is that it was very important for the operator in the control center to really see in real time, in a second um, time frame, what is happening at the generator side, right? If it is uh, how many kilovolt, megavolt, basically, megawatts, basically, these particular um, generators are creating and react in real time, right? These were really control networks and the digital information, the cyber infrastructure was transmitting the control information in real time. So when we came on board to um, start to 
augment uh, and push new sensors uh, into the generation grid or transmission grid. Uh, we wanted to have a security in place, but it was very, very clear that um, these uh, algorithms, these components that we will put in there that do security have to be in real time so that they don't violate that particular real time uh, decision making on uh, the operator side. And uh, so that actually really motivated us uh, and many other researchers within the TCG center that uh, we first started. For example, real-time encryption, right? Considering how big the keys, symmetric keys had to be in order to encrypt and then decrypt the data so that the operator would get it in real time. Uh, we would be uh, looking at certificates, you know, how to sign the data so that we know exactly from where this particular packet, this particular data came. So a lot of the traditional security algorithms had to be revisited to actually really consider how long do they take. Uh, people have been starting to think about maybe some of these encryption algorithms cannot run in software. They need to be put into the hardware in order to speed up. FPGAs, right, and so on, need to be put in place to, or um, many, another big problem was that one also started to consider some of these sensors which um, have been installed in the power grid but um, could not be replaced, right? So people started to look at uh, capabilities like edge devices, uh, uh, additional devices that will be put then between the older sensor and the um, control center to actually protect that sensor with these uh, smarter edge devices that then can be upgraded. So. Um, uh, many different um, uh, opportunities came up uh, in terms of security, but the real time to provide the safety of the power grid had been really first order of concern. Well, I'm sure you as a computational scientist talk about uh, talk the needs that uh, those in the, in the power uh, industry have. What are those conversations like? What, you know, obviously, as you create new cyber infrastructure, there is always the question of security and uh, reliability and that sort of thing. Um, how do those conversations go in terms of what their needs are and what you can, can tell them about what the capabilities are from a, from a computational scientist perspective? Right. So um, the concerns from the power engineers um, are the real time and the integrity of the data. And uh, so that's actually why more of the certificates have been important um, and some of the sort of real-time encryption. But um, also, um, uh, for example, intrusion detection became very important. So some of the discussions that started with the power grid uh, engineers was that they also started to deploy more advanced uh, cyber infrastructures if it was, for example, internet routers, right? I mean, some of these generation networks did not have internet traffic, right? And um, with the internet traffic, one then has to start to really look at uh, man-in-the-middle attack, 
right? And so on. So we started to have a really serious discussions with them where some of these security mechanisms have to be, where do need to be firewalls deployed, right? Some of the really nila vanilla type of security algorithms. And um, uh, the really important aspect uh, I want to stress is that the researchers of the TCG, which was the uh, NSF and then DOE funded uh, uh, center on trustworthy smart grid, and then later on the DOE DHS funded uh, center called Kretzi. The PI is currently Professor David Nickel. Uh, that we started to really um, worry about um, um, the educating in some way the power grid uh, engineers. Uh, uh, where sort of security needs to be put in place and participated actually in creating roadmap for smart grid uh, to actually ensure that various uh, results, um, if it's research results, policy results, uh, engineering results will flow into these roadmaps for the for DOE for smart grid. And uh, I also want to sort of comment that another angle of discussion became was along the side of distribution grids, electric grids. And there actually was much more the issue of privacy. So usually at the side of generation or transmission, people are not involved. Those are mostly automated systems. So security and integrity um, correctness was really important and trust reliability that the data arrives and the operator has enough uh, time to see if there are overload of information and so on. At the distribution side in our communities, when you start to install smart meters, these smart meters can provide tremendous amount of detail of information that again, the utility companies will collect. And we are at this point capable of um, monitoring data that can identify if you are running a wash machine, if you are running your electric uh, uh, devices, right, your toaster. Many of these electric devices have their own signatures. And so you can pretty much identify if the person is at home, what the person is doing. And uh, we are having these kind of capabilities. And so people are rightfully concerned um, uh, about uh, privacy. And again, the Kretzi Center, but also the previous TCG Center and TCG Center all sort of were also looking at this particular concern. So again, we talk about the question of impact. Um, how soon will the consumer feel these types of um, advances? Um, and I would guess that this would help. You talked about helping make decisions about maybe anticipating a brownout or um, you know, ways that you can transfer energy f you know, from one source to the other. Um, how um, efficient solar, wind, whatever, is to get into the grid, all kinds of other decisions. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about the impact, how soon we might see these, um, uh, because, I mean, it's all fascinating stuff, and, and uh, I'm just looking at 
how soon we might be able to see some of these and 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 what do you see as the future so um, um, in terms of um, the impact that we had um, in these centers that uh, have been here in CSL and ITI, uh, Information Trust Institute, I think one of the major impacts really was um, to participate in the roadmap of DOE. And the reason is that many of the results actually are now part of the blueprint that many of the utility companies, electric companies, are implementing and are following. Um, so, um, so I think that's one sort of, I think, major impact. The second major impact is that uh, through many of these centers, we had uh, a lot of um, industrial collaborations. We have industrial advisory board. We also organize industrial workshops. And these industrial partners come and see what the PhD students, master students, undergraduate students here are creating in terms of the uh, power grid um, uh, technologies. And so through that, actually, then they bring in. Another really major impact is that many of these industries partner with our professional staff that works with us within these particular centers. And so um, many of the solar or wind uh, uh, analyse, analysis are making to the utility providers, to the generation uh, companies, and to the companies like Schweitzer that are creating various electric devices. So uh, I feel that uh, over the last 10 years that these many centers actually have been in place here in uh, CSL and ITI that um, um, had had tremendous um, impact in the industry as well as in academia. We have been very active actually and started uh, being uh, started some of the major conferences like the IEEE Smart Grid, uh, and um, we also had major impact on the um, agency like the Department of Energy in the Smart Grid. Well, I'm sure this could be a whole other. Um podcast uh, but I did I, I don't want to 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 have you leave without uh, talking a little bit about net neutrality because I know that uh, you've been involved in uh, quality of service management of uh, multimedia networks and obviously with the uh, uh, you know decommissioning if you will of, of net neutrality that's a big concern and so I I think we could probably spend a whole other topic on that but I I, I did I want you to kind of touch on your uh, research there and um, how that might impact. So um, the quality of service um, uh, in multimedia systems in some way is all about um, differentiation of traffic, prioritization of traffic. And um, I, as well as many other researchers in uh, computer science, computer engineering, and electrical engineering and other areas spend a lot of time developing these uh, algorithms to provide better quality of um, real-time traffic. So um, there is really, um, one has to consider the, the two levels where Technically, we can do a lot of things in terms of differentiate and prioritize. But when one starts to apply these technical solutions to um, throttle a traffic from a school 
or throttle traffic from uh, less desirable source, uh, then uh, it really, really becomes harmful. And um, so um, we are, and I am currently very carefully thinking about how one um, can um, provide some differentiation, some prioritization, particularly when uh, pricing is involved. However, one has uh, sufficient bandwidth and uh, sufficient resources that uh, everybody has enough resources so that schools get their content, that uh, even sources that we might not agree um, on where do they, what kind of content they produce, that they have the right, right, the First Amendment, that they have the right to express and send the data also um, on the Internet. I think that um, other means can protect um, our, if the particular content is really appropriate or not. But I feel that um, this is not part of the underlying bandwidth uh, and uh, throttling um, uh, sort of capabilities that uh, some companies uh, might uh, apply. So I'm really hoping that we, um, uh, particularly at the lower, the, the, the bandwidth level, at the low level, network level, we come to an agreement that uh, every source uh, and the destination will have appropriate amount of uh, uh, bandwidth. Um, and then some bandwidth actually can be also assigned for higher paying customers if they want sort of more resources. At this point, uh, we are moving to capabilities of 10 gigabit, terabit type of networks. And um, so I believe that there is uh, plenty of bandwidth to actually provide to um, uh, groups that don't have the funding but have the right to actually have uh, information dissemination as well as to groups that have the funding and then can get a better quality. Great. And as I said, we could that could be a whole other sh show. But Definitely. why I have you here, I wanted to, to at least touch on that because I think uh, it's a very sensitive topic and uh, there are ways that you are helping maybe uh, ease the Right. Uh, concern right. that uh, people have with, with the net neutrality issues. Yeah, I definitely agree that uh, technically we can come to a very feasible uh, solutions. What does concern me more is uh, some of the laws and policies. And I think that uh, these kind of technical solutions that allow um, equal rights uh, to different sources as well as to paying customers their more resources. It, it should follow on um, with um, appropriate policies that everybody has the right um, to send information. Well, Professor Narstad, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Uh, we look Thank forward. You. There are a, a, a host of topics that we will uh, definitely touch on down the road, but uh, we certainly appreciate you appearing on the program and, uh, and looking forward to how things, uh, how your research uh, affects the world, particularly uh, when it comes to cyber infrastructure. Yeah, we definitely are living in very interesting time. It's a very rich environment, and I'm looking forward to many interesting problems and challenges.
Clara Narstad has been our guest. She's the director of the Coordinated Science Laboratory at the University of Illinois um, and a professor of computer science at Illinois. Uh, we invite you to uh, uh, go to our uh, site on uh, engineering.illinois.edu um, as well as uh, subscribe via SoundCloud and iTunes. So I'm um, your host, Mike Kuhn. Thank you for joining us. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois. We hope you'll help grow our corps of listeners by leaving a favorable rating on iTunes. Music